Welcome to the Sales Street Podcast. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. And for more information about our church, visit salesstreet.org. I didn't go to Sunday mornings with them, but it, it mattered not because we were together a lot. And I would help them with their projects. They were, they actually um, were in the middle of a process of moving to Africa. They had uh, gone on mission trips and they fell in love with the African people. And they were, in fact, scared to tell each other. They had just built this beautiful home. They lived on the water. And again, they were, they were living the, you know, the life that we're all shooting for, right? They had a great ministry, great business, family, ministry at church. And, uh, and then they both fell in love with the African people and were scared to tell the other spouse, hey, I, I think we should go to Africa and be missionaries for the rest of our lives. And then after about six months, they did. And so I just watched all that happen in front of them. While I was getting ready, my, I didn't know what I was going to do. I graduated. I went to graduate school. didn't have a plan. I didn't know what else was next. And I just watched these guys live their life. And then the day came that they just got on a plane and left. And it was about three years. We were, we, we were part of their ministry and received from them. And, and um, I, I have a little New Testament, which I forgot in my house this morning, uh, that she gave me on my one-year birthday. Phyllis did about our... She wrote me a letter, a short letter on this leather. It's all covered with uh, sheetrock dust and stuff from our house. So it would have made a dramatic effect because our house got destroyed by her tornado last week. And she, she said goodbye. And I remember going to the, you know, whatever, where we were. We told them goodbye. And, and uh, wow, it was, it was incredible. And I just thought about that experience when we were reading this passage, right, that Paul... He had spent three years in this church in Asia Minor, the city of Ephesus. He had poured into these people. That he planted this church, and then all these disciples came to being in this time that he was there. And, and, he's, and he's received from them, right? He obviously cared about them and loved them. It was a mutually beneficial relationship. And now he's moving on, and he tells them, what would you tell somebody when you are that close and you're never going to see them again that's what paul told them what would you tell them well today we're going to read what we did read what paul said when they had their goodbye and it's so great i I'm just thrilled to hear from god and i'm going to learn this new podium for sure it was about 60 days until Pentecost, and Paul was trying to get to Jerusalem to Pentecost. You heard when we read the scripture a minute ago that the, he felt like the Spirit was driving him there. He wanted to be in Pentecost, so he didn't have a lot of time. So he, he, uh, he didn't want to go back to Ephesus. He had been gone. We have timelines. They're close. You know, he'd been gone about two years, and he had spent about three years there. So two years after his departure, he, he said, he calls the elders from the church, come meet me at the coast, come down to Cameron. We're going to have a crawfish ball or a shrimp ball or something, and we're going to pray together, and then I'll go. And I won't be stuck in Ephesus telling everyone hello and goodbye again for a month. So we're picking up in verse 18. He says, when he said to them, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first day I came into the province of Asia, I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that was helpful to you, but I have taught publicly 
and from house to house. I've declared both to Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus. And, and I just think this whole paragraph just has the top line, you know. You know. He, they did not have to guess about what was important to Paul. Or they didn't have to guess about what life was like following Jesus. They knew. They had seen this. They had lived together. They served with humility and with tears. Uh, that, that's, that's costly, right? They had severe testing, right? His countrymen, the Jews, were opposing him. That hurt. That hurt. And he was there. He, he didn't hold back from telling them the truth. And that could be risky, right? It can cost you relationships. That's super risky and trouble. They knew he had preached publicly. He had preached house to house. He had preached to Greeks and Jews. And then he told them they must turn to God in repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They knew all these things. They knew. And now he's, 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 he's he, if you read like uh, the letter of 1 Timothy, these uh, uh, pastoral letters, this is a real condensed version, right? He's given us the big picture of God. And he's talking to who? He's talking to the elders of the church that he had called over from. These are people that he installed, right? He installed elders when he left. And it doesn't say in Ephesians that he did, but other places he went around and mature believers rose up. And they were said he appointed as elders of the church. And now he's, he's given them this charge, this final charge before he goes. Verse 22, he says, I think the next chapter, the next paragraph, rather, it's, it's what are we aiming at? Paul's telling the elders what to aim at. He goes, and now, well, he tells them where Paul's aiming. Compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me of prison and hardships that are coming. And he, he's just walking them through. These are people who... They're caring for them. They, they don't want to see them hurt. If you've had someone in your life who's been hurting lately, you, you know exactly the freshness of that feeling. You do not want to do that. You want to see what you can do to fix it and solve their problem. When my, my uh, children were, wife were at the house and they were, I didn't know the state of their condition. And I'm like, I'm several minutes away. So I called Sam. He was closer. Like, please go to my house and check on him. He was there like two minutes and, cared for them. If someone's hurting, you want to move heaven and earth to go solve that problem if you can. And now they are they had trouble and hardships, and he's compelled by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. And, and it's going to not be simple. It's going to be godly, though. It's going to be worthy. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. And my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news, the gospel of God's grace. That's where Paul is aiming at. When they tell him, oh, don't go, he's saying, I, I, this is where I'm aiming at. I want to complete the task. I want to finish the race. I don't want to come up short or coast in or take a rain check. No, I'm pushing towards that. So the next paragraph, we're going to call it their current situation. The elders and Paul, their situation together. What's their relationship like? Where are they at today? Verse 25. Now I know that none of you among whom I gave have gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of your blood. For I have not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God. Paul has done his job. He is innocent. 
he has shared with them what God showed him, revealed to him, Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, resurrected. And if you've had places where you, you, you know, we haven't done that, we, we don't want to do that again. We want to make sure that the people who are in our circle, that people who we can reach, that they've heard, that we're innocent, we've shared, we've spent our lives, poured them out to share with people the gospel, the great news about Jesus Christ. And that's their situation. So then he continues, again, this is his pastoral letter condensed onto a few verses, 20 verses. He tells them, I'm going to call this part Elder Essentials, to verse 28. Keep watch over yourselves in the flock which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which, is bought, which he bought with his own blood. And I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come among you and will not spare the flock. Even from your own number, men will arise and distort the truth and draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning you night and day with tears. So what are elders to do? We're going to talk about this a little bit more later, but they're keep watch over the flock. Why? Because the people of God were bought with Jesus' blood. They're valuable to him. If you have something that's valuable, you go take great pains to care for it. If you have a, I have a, a, I want to say I have a precious guitar. I don't have a precious guitar, but I still care for it, right? If you have a brand new vehicle, you, that first scratch is painful. Who's, who's got a first scratch recently that you've had? And it's painful, right? Now the 500 scratch, hey, get over it. But man, it's, it's valuable. You paid real money for it. Your children, if you're a parent, your friends, your spouse, your your things that you've spent a lot into are valuable. Even good, you know, good things that aren't people like you, your, your business or your reputation or your hobby or your, your they're, they're valuable to us and we, we protect them. So the church was bought with Jesus' blood. That makes it more valuable. And that's why the elders were given that charge, protect the flock. Because it's, it's valuable. It's valuable. Jesus' blood valuable. That's how valuable. And there's going to be a tax, he says. A tax from where? Well, it's going to say there's going to be a tax from without. Well, what do savage wolves, what are savage wolves? Savage wolves are people who preach a false gospel. They distort the truth that God came and showed us. Right before this, Paul had gone to Galatia, and he wrote a, a book of Galatians, and he's, he's attacking this false gospel that people had to obey the Jewish law to be saved before they could come to Christ. That's, that's a heresy, right? False teachers will come, and they will must be protect The flock must be protected from falsehood. The truth of God's Word, this Bible, is our protecting truth, the anchor that we hold on to. So we have to proclaim the truth and protect. What other, where else do problems come from? Well, they come from within. He says that people will rise up from among you and will not spare the flock. The people from your own number will arise and distort the truth in order to draw disciples after them. Now, that sounds bad to me. We talked about things that hurt. If someone from among your own crew arises and distorts this truth, this life-giving truth, to draw off people for themselves, they, there's kind of a thing now, like celebrity pastor, you know, it's just, it could be too much about us, and all of a sudden we get sideways and go away from this truth. And that God 
provided for the elders to be the people that God's installed. Paul's telling them, this is your job. Protect the flock from within and from without. And what will this cost him? Well, it says it will cost him tears, right? So be on your guard. Remember, for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. Why would Paul spend tears to remind him of these things? Because if we forget and someone you love gets hauled off into sin, you will cry. It's horrendous. You don't want that. You want to be on guard night and day. He was telling them to be on guard. So then the next little paragraph, I like, I like keeping it the, the direction in my mind when I have to go through a narrative. The next paragraph, Paul's telling the elders about their future, right? Paul's told them about their current situation, then about Paul's future. He's going to Jerusalem. Then he's telling them about uh, then the, his, Paul's aim. So that's it's aspirational, right? We want to be like the people. I want to be like the Tadlocks, right, when I was there. And now I, I want to be a worthy a disciple who's following Jesus. So if someone follows after me, I'm not leading them astray. And so now Paul's telling the elders about their future. As he's reading this, I'll pick it up in verse 32. Now, I commit you. Now, that's a big deal. This guy's an apostle. He was, it says, the Bible says that Paul was born abnormally born. That's how he called himself. He received a special revelation from God on the road to Damascus. We read that a few months back. And now Paul's got the weight, the weight of this revelation from Jesus. He heard the revelation of Jesus from God, from Jesus. Paul, Paul, why do you persecute me? Who are you? I'm the Lord Jesus, who you're persecuting. What? And, and, and he was born again and lifted free. And Paul and God told him, I must show him how much he must suffer for my namesake. That Paul was, was given a great gift and a burden to go with it. A burden what? To share, to go, to invest in people. Take the risk and take the weight that God would bear up for him. And that's what he's doing. So now he's telling them, I commit you, Paul's talking to the elders in the church in Ephesus, to God and to what? And to the word of his grace. That's this scripture right here. I'd have one hand. Otherwise, I'd be holding it up. You just hold yours up if you want. And the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are Sanctified. What does he mean by that inheritance? Well, I think, we'll, we'll touch on this in a minute too. I think he's referring to the inheritance of the saints. That if you hold on to the word of grace, disciples will be made from your ministry. Elders, he's telling them. And that inheritance, when you see, nothing charges up my life as much as helping somebody move the ball down the field with Jesus. That is, if you want a bolstering of your faith, then put your feet into God's ways and, and help people come to faith, help people come to maturity in faith. And man, that's encouraging. Joy comes from that. You, you want to see that. So he's telling them, sorry, did I wake the baby up? I think I did. It's going to happen again. I probably promise. So it's going to be all right. Those of you who are sanctified, the inheritance. Don't you want to inherit that? I want to inherit a good name. I want to inherit... The reward of being a part of God's ministry, right? That's what he's telling them. And then Paul describes, in verse 33, he says, I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. Now, Paul then later in another book, he describes that an elder is worth his keep. So he's not saying that 
everyone has to do everything on your own. He's just displaying that as the forerunner, he just wanted to, which is a great name for a truck or car, by the way, a forerunner, I'm pretty sure. Uh, as a forerunner, he wanted to be as, as, as clear as he could be. He's not here to make a name for himself. He's not here to grow riches. He's not here to make it easy and build a big thing and have everyone say how great he was. Because if he wanted everyone to say how great he was, he would have stuck around. And they would, you know, celebrity Pastor Paul here in Ephesus. He, no, he wanted to, to make sure he was communicating with clarity who Jesus is and what it looks like to follow him. And he's telling the elders, this is what it looks like to follow you. But he's not saying that every elder has to do what he did, because, again, he clarifies that in the book. We could go into all these subjects, but then we'd be here too long today. In 35, he says, in everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, can I hear hard work? Oh, man, hard work. I love some hard work. And this, that's the only time I'm going to ask y'all a rhetorical question today. So that was the one for today. In everything I did, I showed you that by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak. Remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And you guys did that this week. Y'all showed up, or a week ago, right? Showed up at my house and many of you showed up and gave and gave your whole day, interrupted your day and showed up and helped my family pick up after a tornado and you gave and when we give we it, it does cost us something it costs us our time costs us some money costs us our effort but it's rewarding we leave happier when we give not like we got gypped no he's telling them that and then paul wraps it up with them and we know it's coming we the whole time you see it coming he's leaving he's crying he's there crying anyway Verse 36, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed, and they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was the statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. So tearful goodbyes. We pray. We prayed, we prayed the other day. We teared up. We did that the other day. We, we looked to God. Why? Because he's the holder of our futures. He's the holder of their future here that we, we get to read about from this book of Ephesians. And he tells them there's, there's joy ahead. There's more joy ahead. We don't just have to look behind to get joy. And, and the next verse uh, in the next chapter says, and after we had pried ourselves away from them. They did not want to give up this moment, right? The tadlocks left. I didn't want to give up that moment. It was so special. I remember writing these thinking, I don't know if I wrote them that much, these sentimental notes, because I just thought, man, these guys have invested so much in me. I, I, whatever they need, they need me to fly to Africa and do something, I'll do that. They, you, you just call me. Your mom, dad need something. Both their parents passed away while they were out of country. And, you know, it cost them something. I, I just wanted to, I wanted to tell them how grateful I was for how they set up my life, how they taught me the way of the Lord, how they instituted in me an all-in, push all your chips on the table, don't hold back. This is, he's worth it. You're not, take the risk with Christ. Take the risk with him. It's, it's not, you don't have to hold back. You don't have to protect your heart in case he's, you know, there's a disappointment. No, push, go. Push and go. So in this, this epistle, this, this mini letter that he wrote to the elders at Ephesus, I've got seven takeaways that I think we about for just a moment and I'll call it a walk away list and the first one is a tool and I love this tool 
if you if you're not doing this, you're, you're just gonna you're, we're gonna we're gonna do so much together. You know, Sam and I talk about this. Sam's telling me these great ideas and others. We, the, the Bible is it's the best commentary on itself. And and I have a, I have an encouragement a, a request of you this week. If if you would take the letter that we just piece of this letter that we just wrote, the piece of Acts, and then read the book of Ephesians, because Paul in about forget how many years, I think it's five years later, he writes this book. It's you know arranged three to six, I think it was. He writes a letter to the church in Ephesus, these same people. And if you want to read the passage we just read today, and then read that book of Ephesians, it's six chapters. Takes about 15 minutes. You can memorize the whole book, by the way. April's done it. I've kind of memorized big chunks of it, but I haven't memorized the whole thing. So she's better than me. That's true. You don't have to remind me all the time. It's okay. We all know. But our first and best resource to understand the Scripture is the Scripture itself, the rest of Scripture. So read that book and make yourself some notes. I'll give you the first one that came to mind when I did this exercise. And that's that word that we read a minute ago, inheritance. Paul writes in the first three chapters of Ephesians are kind of this in Christ theology. And so he has a prayer uh, in Ephesians 1. And he says, I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the glorious riches of his inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So inheritance is a word that's in both of these passages. And it describes more fully what he means. When he's telling the elders about the inheritance other disciple. So do that. The Bible is its own best commentary. There are notes. If you have a, a thicker Bible, it's got cross-reference notes. Those are super handy. Uh, there's a ton of stuff. And so we, we, we'll teach you here at this church how to use the Bible to understand the Bible. I'm not downing other resources. I love other resources. Uh, we have all this scholarship. It's fantastic. Now we have tools. You can open your phone to a in-depth Bible commentary through Logos.com. It's just phenomenal. And all this tool is waiting for us. But start there. I, I don't want to start with what someone else says about the Scripture. I want to hear what God says about the things He says first. And then that will inform me first. Do that work first before I go read what someone else said. And then I'll get, I'll get distracted. Uh, in chapter 3 of Ephesians, Paul talks about inheritance again. I'll let you read that this week. So go write your sign. Read this passage again. Read Ephesians. Compare notes. See what God shows you. It's going to be super encouraging. Uh, Paul also, I mean, uh, the Bible also includes, if you want the bonus feature, go read the second chapter of Revelation. Jesus speaks about the church in Ephesus. And I'll let you read that. It's pretty great. Um, that's awesome. Second takeaway out of the seven, we're moving quickly, don't you agree? I think we are. It's about elders. So Paul went to the city on his way back. This is his third missionary journey, by the way. He's made two. This is his third one. He's coming back, and then he's going to go to Jerusalem, and then we'll keep reading in Acts what happens from there. But he's, he's appointed these elders. There were a plurality of elders in Ephesus, not just one elder, overseer, shepherd. Uh, and how about that? We've got three words that Paul described in this very portion of Acts to describe the same people. He called the elders over, and then he refers to them as elders or presbyteros, which is, there's a Strong's Concordance where it numbers all the Greek and Hebrew words and inside them a number. So that's the Strong's number for that word elder. And then he calls them overseers. That's also referred to as bishop. 
So what's a bishop? Well, just that word, overseer, right? And there's another word, and then he calls them shepherds. So the same group of people, he refers to them with all three of these names. That's the group of elders. How interesting. And there were several of them, and it gives us those three descriptor terms for their ministry. There are two offices that the New Testament describes in the church leadership. First one's elder, one is elder, and the other is deacon. <clears throat> and the elder has a couple of roles and responsibilities that are outlined. A couple of them are listed here. A couple of them are listed other places. They all kind of go together. So the elder has the ministry of word and prayer. We learned that in Acts 6 when the apostles were, uh, had the dispute about serving food to the Hellenistic Jewish widows. And they said, man, this is in the way, so we need to start having several people with different duties so that we can all get the, the mission accomplished. So we're not spinning our wheels. And then the second item, he says that, that we, what we learned, talked about just a moment ago, that the elders have the goal, the responsibility of guarding the flock, right? Savage wolves will come, and they'll come. And then verse 29, and then verse 30, men from your own church will come up and distort the truth and try to draw people away. That's bad. We don't want that. And then in verse 27, he says that, that the elder's role is to declare the word. That's what we're doing today. We're reading the words of God to one another, declaring them out. Yes. Man. I'll tell you one other thing the elders are. And we're watching this in this passage. And we watched it last week. The elders were kind of the first small group in that church. So I texted. The, uh, I called Sam. I called my friend Alan. told him, hey, there might be a tornado coming to your house. And I texted the elders. said, tornado at my house. That's all I did. I got home, we got to work, and people started showing up. My small group of the elders showed, that's how, that's how you do. By the way, <clears throat> Paul wrote that in 1 Corinthians. He says, therefore I urge you to imitate me. And for this reason I have sent you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with what I teach in every church, right? So he's saying that if you want other people to do something, you got to do it. So if we say small group life, having a group of people that you're tight with, that you're together with on this journey is important. Well, then the elders need to be the first among those. I think we're doing that. Here, I'm proud of that. And I love that Paul just wrote that. Third item out of our seven is that leadership. This is really kind of a leadership treatise that he's describing. How he led, how the elders should lead, how they're going to lead next. And uh, there's a book by Dave Ferguson called Hero Maker. This is where I read this first. It may be someone else's. But Paul, this, his, his outline that he described, those chapter headings I gave you, they don't exactly follow this, but they sort of follow this. And this is how you replicate a leadership, right? I do, you watch, we talk. So if I am going to facilitate a Bible study and I have someone who wants to come along with me, I do, they watch me do, we talk. Then, next step, I do, they help, we talk. So I give them an assignment. Hey, I want you to ask these questions or something like that during the small group. And afterwards, oh, they figure it out. And the next time, the next step is, they do, I help, we talk. So now they're in charge of facilitating, but I didn't abandon them. I didn't say, oh yeah, go have at it. No, we, we've, we've walked through this a little bit. Now we're walking through it some more. And then, I, you, they do, I watch. I don't help. I just listen to him. And I give him some pointers, right? Paul's talking about there when he said, I've sent you Timothy. I've showed him what I want, how, how I think the church should run. There you go. And then you do, someone else watches. Y'all talk. So now Paul stepped away. He sent Timothy. Timothy's going. He, you know how I love him. You know how I showed him the ways. And now 
That's how you do it. So leadership is listed in this, this uh, scripture, and it describes the interdependent life of Paul and the elders. They were interdependent. Now Paul's leaving, so they're, they're on their own. They said they begin the next generation, and that's how he's going. He's walking them through it. Number four out of our seven, that tomorrow's story may have some different chapter headlines than yesterday's story. Now, I am not advocating that newness has some special virtue. We always have to be doing something new. That's not the case. But when we hold on to the truth, always, for sure, I am the way and the truth and the life. I think we sang that in one of those songs. No one comes to the Father but by me. But Paul's journey tells us that we can change methods as necessary. He did that when he went to different cities. He would start it. Um, going to the Jewish synagogues, and then he would adapt as he went along. So that's okay with us, too. We don't, we're not married to our methods. We're, we're holding on to the truth in everything, and we're willing to, to change our methods as needed. We don't have to reinvent things for fun, but if it's needed to, we will. And this part, we'll, we'll, we'll get greedy for just a second, the fifth item. And that's that Paul talks twice in this passage, how he... He did ministry with this church in Ephesus with tears. And I, I guess a reflection point for us and God this morning would be, who are you sharing tears with in your ministry? Who are you living with that it's... Let's, yeah, here's how I described it. Verse 19, you know how I lived the whole time I was with you. From the first I came into the province of, province of Asia... I served the Lord with great humility and with tears in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know, he, it was tough. It was gritty. It was risky. And it's going to cost us something. So if we're, if we're not in a place that we're close enough to others, that, that there's some tears going on or potential, then I've got good news. That gives us our next step in our discipleship. If I'm not close enough to the word, and if I'm not close enough to people in my church, that I would shed a tear for the things going on in our lives, then I need to, I need to take steps that direction. You all with me on that one? That's important. And we're, this, isn't a, this is not an aloof spectator sport following the Lord Jesus Christ inside of the church. This is an engagement where we are with each other. Right? Again, I'll use my illustration for last week. We, we cried some from the joy of having people show up and help us when our home was hit by a tornado. And it's great to be that close. Uh, but it's going to involve some risk. Being that close where you can cry because of someone else's pain or trouble involves risk. Following God's ways is always worth the risk, beloved. It's, it's worth the risk. You could have the risk of wasted effort. Who is reluctant to do stuff because you think it's, it's too much work? I'll waste my effort. No. We've got to be wise, for sure. Wise, it's good. But I don't have to always worry about risk. I could risk of missing out on stuff because I was busy with church. I could, the risk of being wrong or making some misstep somewhere. Being called out because I tried and it didn't work out. No, I don't need to worry more about that than I need to worry about following God and taking a risk. Number six, eldering and really all Christian leadership 
which is deacon, parent, friend, brother, sister in Christ, is about sharing the whole will of God, the whole thing. Take, go to that book of Ephesians that you're going to read this week. The first three chapters are in Christ theology. The last three chapters are how to walk it out. That's the whole will of God, the truth of God and the ways of God. They're together. And that's, that's eldering. That's all of Christian leadership. We've got to walk people towards that. And I'm, I'm done now. I think Kent's going to pray for us and then the band's going to come up. But the seventh item, I think we walk away from this passage. He lists it right in there. He says that, I have declared to you, both Jews and Greeks, that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I think Tim said it while he was baptizing our new brother. That Jesus lived a sinless life. He was crucified for our sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day. And that all who trust him by grace through faith are made alive. Made alive in Christ. And if there had been no one who was alive in Christ, no one who trusted him through repentance and faith, then there would be no offer of salvation in Jesus. And there's no opportunity for anyone to turn, right? Turn in repentance towards God if one of us doesn't carry the gospel to them. But Paul did come, and they did turn, and they did believe. They did believe. What about you, my beloved friend? If someone's in this room and Jesus is not close to you, you don't have this connection, it sounds foreign then today is a great day. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, back to that same book, this church, Paul writes to them, reminding them of what's true about them, right? It's about three years later. It says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. Grace is getting something you don't deserve. Faith is a tiny bit, whatever bit you got. That's enough. We don't have have to have giant faces, faith is small as a mustard seed. Whatever bit you got. By the way, that's a gift of God, he says. That faith, that little bit of faith is a gift from God. Not by works, not by human effort, not by human invention, not by the cleverness of man or the aptitude of our knowledge. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that none of us can boast about it. None of us can brag about it. None of us can do it without Him. And this last picture is from Jerusalem. It's an empty tomb. It's the garden tomb. You've seen it before. We don't know that this was where Jesus was buried, but it was somewhere nearby. It's within a few blocks. You know, it's not that big of a place. And there's no place here where you can go see the tomb of Jesus where his body lay because he did not stay dead. He is fully alive. That's why Paul was willing to pour himself out and to shed tears. And that's why the elders at Ephesus loved him because they told them the truth about God. 
and their lives were changed. That's why I love the Tadlocks. They, they discipled me, and my life was changed. And if you want to trust Christ today, then your life can be changed. Read Ephesians this week. Know that Jesus loves you. Father, let everything which we do bring you praise and glory. 